This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Good day to you. Now, Ramya, I have to ask right off the top as we begin the program, do you ever hear about something that just gives you a tummy ache when it comes to food? A tummy ache? It just sounds so something. Well, let me give you an example. Okay. Uh, it just came out, they were discussing, and I picked up on this through the news, uh, the, on Tuesdays when the Toronto Blue Jays are at home, they have these Toonie Dog Days. So oh. a six-inch hot dog you can buy for a Toonie. Yesterday, they had a doubleheader in Toronto, and the first game they offered the Toonie, uh, Toonie Dog Day. And they sold for a crowd that was, uh, if I heard correctly, 23,000, I believe, was the paid attendance. They sold over 30,500 oh, dogs. my gosh. They do this on certain homestands. I don't want to say every single homestand throughout the season. But combined so far, they have sold over 340-some-odd thousand of these things at in the Toonie Dog event. They said they have sold enough that if you put them end-to-end, they could go from Toronto to Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know how they like to do those kinds of yeah, weird yeah. things. So I hear that kind of thing, and oh my goodness, I think of people eating. And and again, I'm I don't hate hot dogs, but I certainly, you know, thinking eat of them. eating two or three of them kind of makes me oh good. Well, because remember that thing that came out last year about how much uh, how many days in your life you can save if you stop eating hot dogs? Yeah, or something yes. like, along those lines. I, my my father, uh, late father, absolutely loved hot dogs. Uh-huh. Me, well, yeah, okay, but that's enough. And maybe it's too many of the boiled, maybe not enough of buying them at the street wagons or something mm. where, you know, you kind of wonder, how long have these been kicking around? <laughs> so anything do that to you? I mean, you're a popcorn person, and I know that sometimes popcorn can be funny. I remember going to the movies, it's and true. the smell of the butter can, oh, can, but yet it, it's it can delicious. Be appetizing. Like that smell of butter can either make you feel like you want popcorn or like, no thanks. Right, because reminded me of the floor wax. Yeah, I don't know. I like going right up to the concession stand and uh, smelling that buttery popcorn. But you're right; that stale smell of popcorn is not really the greatest. Mm-hmm. But I've been trying to make it like this though, so I've been utilizing my stove to make popcorn. I don't have a microwave, right? This is the news of the year for me. I've been trying to be microwaveless okay. and um, making like I bought kernels and. I have butter and oil and different things, and I've been trying to make stovetop popcorn and make it awesome because I love popcorn so much, Kels. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's healthier because, you know, we're trying to pick popcorn over chips. But uh, I can't get it right, like 100% right yet. It's there. It's like a B plus, A minus, but it's not how I want it. Um, Yesterday, the problem was there was too much butter in little corners of popcorn. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Like the butter was not distributed properly. Yeah, my family used to love that kind of thing. It didn't matter. We just thrived for that. And I know when people do microwave, you know, you wait for it to pop only so many times to know, okay, it should be ready. And you still get your hard kernels. Yeah, and you don't have the temperature thing. What you're talking about a lot when, 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 when we were kids in Montreal. Yeah, and I never did that. My parents, we never made popcorn together. It wasn't a fun activity to do with the family, but it is just something that I've been trying to perfect. And I, I bought the <laughs> ketchup powder from 
kernels, mm. which I've been dousing the stuff with. So at the end of the day, it's not as healthy as you can make well, it. Well, anyway, when it doesn't taste too great, you just use the ketchup powder yeah, to disguise. exactly. <laughs> Folks, let's take a look at what we've got coming up. Speaking of disguising, on our program today, we're quite obvious of this stuff. On In the Know, Margaret Weldon takes us behind the scenes of Queen Elizabeth II's royal family and brings us some uncommon facts about her. The University of Saskatchewan recently launched a suicide prevention program, and Jim Crisco is going to fill us in on that. The September 13th is National Sepsis Awareness Day in Canada. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe informs us about this particular condition today in Hour 2 on the program. So a comedy bit that, that was part of the Emmy Awards isn't sitting well with some people. Jimmy Kimmel catching a little heat after Monday night's Emmys. He did a bit while announcing best writing in a comedy, pretending to be passed out drunk on stage. And then when Abbott Elementary's Quinta Brunson won, he just laid there at her feet the whole time. Some say robbing her of her special moment. Backstage, she said she considers Kimmel a comedy godfather. The bit didn't bother me that much. I don't know what the internet thinks. But... And she shared Kimmel was an early champion of her show. I don't know. Tomorrow, maybe I'll be mad at him. I'm going to be on his show on Wednesday, so I might punch him in the face. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Uh, Comes out, you know, bit. and everybody's, ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Um, I know that we've heard stories like this, and I really do think that it's personal or subjective to a point. You know, it doesn't bother you, and you are the subject of the matter, so that's what actually counts, right? But then again, if you sit down, you know it's going to be comedy. Can you leave feeling a tiny bit offended? Probably. Mm -hmm. It sounds like even though she's saying no, she does feel a tinge of it. Yeah, I think the stealing someone's moments, that that I have a little bit of a problem with. Maybe that's a bit old-fashioned. But I also remind people, a lot of these people work together. they've, They've been to events constantly. They see each other relatively often, even if it's in a crowd of others. They're they're linked up, whether it's through agents, through stuff going on. So sometimes I think we get sensitive. We're allowed to voice it on Twitter, and if a bunch yeah. of people get out there, blah, 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 oh, people are upset about it. Gotta Where we would have anyway. been upset 20 years ago and no one would ever know, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it's a totally different thing. So, But I, I, I hear you. I think that, you know, you really stop and think, okay, that's different. But unfortunately, these folks are paid to be that yep. invited back host, and, yep. and we're going to see that. The weekly ratings numbers are in down south, and it appears what viewers got a kick out of a certain type of programming. Are you ready for some football? For TV viewers, the answer was an overwhelming, oh yeah. A look at Nielsen's numbers makes that clear. Of the top 10 programs, all of them, save one, was a football game, pregame show, or a postgame show. The top-rated program was the game between the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It drew 23.3 million viewers. It was followed in second by the clash between the Buffalo Bills and the LA Rams. That drew 19.94 million viewers. The only non-football programming on the list, the news magazine 60 Minutes, which was in eighth place. I'm Oscar Wells Gabriel. So here's a thought. 60 Minutes, I don't know what they had on the show, but I also know it was the 11th, September 11th, and there may have been programming there. I'm guessing because unfortunately I haven't had a chance to see what they had. I didn't look at the podcast to see or anything like that. But football, first football Sunday, lots of stuff going on. The other thing interesting, Ramya, is they say drawing interest 
and obviously reasons why, you mentioned it last week on the show, is the crown. Mm -hmm. Suddenly getting a lot of interest with the Queen's passing. So I find that right now it seems to me we are very influenced as to what we run to by, and I think it's a society with so many things to choose from, to run to, and if someone presents to you, hey, it's football weekend. Oh, I better go watch football. Oh, by the way. You yes. might want to check out the crown. Yeah, that's right. The queen passing. It's very interesting how we are led. I'm anxious to see if we start seeing more of this kind of connection. Well, it's the number one thing trending on Netflix right now, the crown. And that is obviously not just coincidence. Yeah. And I have not seen that much football entertainment, even stateside in the top 10. So mm-hmm. that is just very interesting as to how what what trends we're creating. Coming up next on the program, reporter Grant Hardy and producer Jeff Ryman share the latest health headlines. It's Wednesday, right here on Kelly and Company. free. We always want to hear from you folks. Take some time. Reach out to the program. You could send us an email via the gang at communications and marketing over there. Just send it to feedback at ami.ca. That's feedback at ami.ca. They'll pass it on to us. Or in case you have other questions about AMI-TELE, AMI-AUDIO, or AMI-TV, or anything about accessible media, just do it over there. You can give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. Mention it's for Kelly and company, please. And if you don't mind, give us permission. Maybe we can use your message on air, one 866 509-4545 is the number to do that. On Twitter, of course, she's at all Rams with a Z. I'm at AMI Kelly Mac. Always like to hear from you, so drop us a line. And of course, follow along at AMI Audio. That's the correct handle of AMI Audio at AMI Audio. You can check out what's coming up on our show and interact and ask your questions. That may be uh, more directed right at AMI Audio and see. Look for that answer right there at AMI Audio on Twitter. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. So are you thinking about your popcorn? Do, do you prefer it with less butter? Less butter, like just really? enough butter to balance it so that the seasoning will stay on. You know, you I try it with like the nutritional the yeast yet? No, but I thought about it last night and I do have nutritional yeast. Maybe At that's for tonight's batch kills. Think about it, especially after Julia has been here. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, uh, we're talking health a little bit right now for, as we welcome in producer... Jeff Ryman, and reporter Grant Hardy. I'm Jeff Ryman with The Health Report. I bring you the latest studies, advice, and health headlines from major newspapers, magazines, and the Canadian press. Good day, fellows. Nice to have you both back. Hey, Good folks. to be back. Um, at this point, we're going to do this today, get into some health and lifestyle on Friday on the show with you guys. And we're going to kind of start mixing it up a little bit and uh, maybe, uh, maybe taking away a little blurring the lines a little. So uh, I think that makes it more exciting for everyone. So stay tuned as we get doing that. Again, we welcome back uh, Grant, particularly who's just uh, joined our team. And uh, today, Grant, I'm, I'm going to throw things over to you and let you take the lead. Oh, scary. All right, man. Well, I do have a few headlines to uh, go through and get your take on. Uh, this first one is from Global News, and the headline is, Thick blanket of smoke in, Ogano- in Okanagan may linger for another couple of days. So with 
thick wildfire smoke blanketing the Okanagan, it's not a surprise that the valley's air isn't good right now. Right. But according to one website that keeps track of the air quality around the world, uh, ours is currently among the worst. Now, according to global news meteorologist Peter Quinlay, the smoke in the area is from a number of fires in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, much of the smoke is coming from fires right along the international border, uh, the ones around Manning Park, and ones that are actually coming uh, from the northwestern uh, United States, Quinley said. So the heavy smoke resulted in the air quality index hovering between 5 and 6 out of 10 on Tuesday for the central Okanagan. And there's a website uh, called IQ Air that actually measures our air quality, in, uh, the air quality in the Okanagan, rather, as some of the worst in the world, and they're advising people to limit their outdoor activities. So just wanted to get you guys uh, your take on this. You know, BC, we tend to be a pretty temperate sort of area. There's, there's not a lot that hits us, but we've had a couple of warnings lately. We had this heat wave last year where people died and people could not get through to emergency services either. And now we have this. Why do you guys think that we're ignoring the message that nature is trying to send. Jeff, I'm going to hand it over to you first. Yeah, I think, and we've talked about this extensively on the show over the last year or so, but believe it or not, there's still people who just either, A, don't know enough about the impacts of global warming or climate change or uh, anything under that umbrella, uh, or they just don't care, uh, which, which is actually kind of very scary to think about um so hearing about the forest fires i feel like a lot of people are just tuning in elsewhere or tuning it out altogether um so it, you know in a weird way it it, it kind of does make sense that people aren't aware of this or just don't care although i feel like they very much should be because like you mentioned grant last year was at least in recent memory probably one of the most uh scary impacts from wildfires which you mentioned there were a couple of deaths um just mm -hmm. the pictures and the videos that were coming out of bc last year like things just completely melted um like complete cities or at least towns uh were basically ghost towns and a lot of things burned down wildfires are no joke and not only can they have a huge impact on um, your immediate health, but definitely some of the long-term um, problems that it could pose as well. So uh, I, I think people should very much um, be in the know in, in terms of wildfires and whatnot. And it's one of those things that sort of get swept under the rug. Like I mentioned, some people just don't really care. Do we need to see a shift in what we allow? I mean, years ago, you'd see the, the commercials with people being told, put out your fires when you're when you were camping watch your cigarettes don't go tossing the bus when people did that stuff and and went out there and it was no big deal for someone driving a car whoom, out the window and stuff like that we went on the campaign saying people people don't do these things you're causing colossal damage and and killing people being careless like that now we also look at the fact that there are a lot more all-terrain vehicles we know that there's a lot of lightning strikes which may be more related to our environment may be related more to the fact that it's dry and things like that. I kind of would love to know if those numbers have gotten gone up. 
overall, we know we need to do something about our environment, period, whether it's stuff like this. I just worry so much about how much we're hearing pollution, smoke like this, is killing people. We, we know that people yeah. who live near a busy street are in jeopardy. Um, you know, you live inhaling smoke from cars, uh, th- that kind of thing, which is our move to move electric. We know for some people that definitely is leading to chronic breathing issues, health problems that take a lot of lives, and how much less of that would happen if we address some of these issues like that. So, Grant, I, I don't know what's causing so many of the, the yeah. fires, I think we get the idea, too. You guys are on the ocean. Maybe the, the ocean breeze carries that smoke away. <laughs> but I think so many of us have no idea what that smoke is like. I do think it is really interesting that, you know, if you think about it, we can alter almost anything we want on the planet. You can yep. take a swamp and we can turn it into, like, a football field or a, or a, a road with, you know, whatever we want. But wildfires are a fascinating reminder that nature can take back control of the planet whenever it wants and we don't have as much control as we think well and before us folks sure there was wildfires there was lightning strikes and huge fires that there was nobody to fly over dumping ocean water on to put them out they ran they roared on for months years yeah, and, and one other thing to add to this is that, Grant, you're, you're mentioning that this is happening in BC with the smoke and the air quality. But if I remember correctly, especially last year and then a couple years back with those massive Fort McMurray fires in yeah, Alberta, yeah. Uh, but that smoke carries. Like the air oh. quality across oh, yeah. the, the prairies, even into here in Ontario. Like, people in northern Ontario were, were feeling the repercussions of that smoke and that fire. Um, so it's definitely not necessarily just a regional issue. Like, this is, like, this 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 very well could be. And, Kelly, you mentioned, you know, the breeze coming off of uh, off of the ocean. But, you know, that breeze, and, and the, depending on which way the wind is blowing and the jet, jet stream, stream and all yep, of that... Yep. Like it, it carries across a couple of provinces uh, if it's big enough. So it's just something that I wanted to point out that it's definitely not just necessarily even a regional issue. This is almost a nationwide issue. Yeah, for sure. It is. Yeah. One help. What helps one group helps all of us. What hurts one group helps uh, hurts the whole world. So yeah. hopefully, so true. yeah. We're... So true, Grant. Um, we we got time for two more, or should we do yeah, one? Let's try the. Let's pick one and see how we right. get. Uh. Let's do a fun one, shall we? Uh, The best way to get a crying baby back to sleep? Researchers say they figured it out. This is from USA Today. I'm not a parent. I always figured you just politely ask for what you want. Uh, Excuse me, I'm trying to get some sleep. Can you you quiet things down? No, apparently that doesn't work so well for... uh, Newborn baby, so I'm told. So every newborn uh, parent has dealt with it. A crying baby that just won't go back to sleep or an infant who wakes up in the middle of the night and won't let anyone go back to bed. Uh, Regardless of the countless hours of sleep lost, people have endless amounts of remedies and tricks to get a baby back to sleep. But now researchers say they have figured it out scientifically. Uh, So it involves moving around the findings published tuesday in the peer-reviewed journal current biology suggests that the best method is to the best method is to hold a crying baby and walk with them for five minutes 
After that, researchers say to sit and hold the baby for five to eight minutes before putting them to bed. And the walking to sit method even worked in the daytime, the results showed, and it lowered the baby's heart rate as well. So, hmm. you know, that's a long, I mean, again, as someone who's not a parent, it seems like that's a long time for me to be out of bed at night <laughs> when I'm just like, oh, I just want to get back to bed. But if that's the magic here, I mean, you guys have to wonder how we figure all this stuff out as researchers. But uh, what do you think? You think we're a little step closer here towards uh, parenting uh, peace? Well, there are a lot of parents out there that would say, well, yeah, that's what grandpa and grandma told me <laughs> and so on. And great grandma, that's what we would do. We'd hear that. You know, you, you, you hear anyone say, well, go for a walk. Take take the baby for a walk. Walk around, you know, pat the baby. Talk to the baby. Let the baby hear your calming voice. It's interesting when we find this stuff out and they, they reveal the research guys and jeff all all you can hear when you're when you're hearing grant read this discussing this is people parents at home saying yes i know that already i didn't need a study (laughs) because they wore out their 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 slippers walking at night yeah you know i I, this is very uh you know i'm sort of taking notes here as somebody who's not a parent but you know i thought so but you know maybe soon down the road i may become a parent uh you know that seems fairly easy 10 minutes out of the night is probably not not the worst case scenario for especially to get a whole sleep right if it worked (laughs) exactly but you know in a way it makes sense um to me and obviously this is not a one-size-fits-all method i'm sure Uh, if it was then the people of this study would probably be making millions and billions of dollars um but uh there's so many of of those tales that you used to hear and in kelly you were talking about oh this is what my grandparents used to do to get my parents to go to sleep or to get me to go to sleep or or whatever it may be uh you know i I think a a quick walk or, or sometimes you see people sort of um gently rocking a baby like in a, in a rocking chair or um if you're one of those parents you, some people jokingly put them on the the washing machine and the sort of the, the tumble and the rumble of that <laughs> yeah, sort of right knock, yes. knock them out uh, there's obviously a, a, many different ways in which you can potentially put a baby to sleep but it's always fun hearing about these these types of studies and that there's legitimate science behind it so yeah i'm going to take some notes on this for sure Hmm. I remember being scared by the washing uh, machine being set on it and <laughs> be quiet. But the dryer I slept quite funny. well on. <laughs> funny, funny how in the quote unquote olden days you could like, you know, turn on the washing machine for like a second and sit on the washing machine and like, okay, now I'm going to turn this off or even open it up and feel inside. Now everything is like so locked down that like, I don't think a parent could actually do that anymore without running a full uh cycle or really messing around with the washing machine because you can't just turn that dial to the right spot (laughs) things are just so different grant awesome stuff thank you very much we will uh speak to both of you guys uh next when later 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 this afternoon oh my good heavens yeah no you guys are back in a bit yeah yes all right guys well be well We'll kick it with you in a little bit when uh, they're back on the program next hour. We'll step aside for a couple of minutes. That was Grant Hardy, reporter. Uh, Jeff Ryman, producer over here on Kelly & Company. Up next on In the Know, Margaret Weldon takes us behind the scenes of Queen Elizabeth's uh, royal family and brings us some uncommon facts about her in two minutes.
look for AMI audio. Folks, right from your television. Shaw Cable subscribers, you guys can find us on channel 825. And over on SASTEL 555. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Rumya Muthan. All right, Kels. Every other week on Wednesdays when we're not ta- not talking television with Greg David, we get in the know with Margaret Weldon. Let's bring her on. Life's continuing changes can lead to a lot of questions. Join me, Margaret Weldon, to get your answers, and then you too will be in the know. As most of us know, and if you don't know by now, it means you haven't turned on your television or social media or radio in several days. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II had passed away on Thursday, September 8th. And there have been a number of news reports that cover a variety of topics, uh, her life, her family's life, everything she's contributed uh, over and over again. There's so much to learn. But Margaret, today you're going to give us some facts that are maybe lesser known or not known to majority of us. So let's start with the the fundamentals, the basics, Queen Elizabeth II's first royal title, her date of birth, her parents and christening. Yes, hello, Ramya. Good afternoon, Kelly. Both uh, nice to talk to you again. So, yes, uh, for the first part, Queen Elizabeth II uh, was born on as Princess Elizabeth. Actually, her official name was um, um, Alexander Alexander Elizabeth Mary, and she was born on April the 21st at 2.40 in the morning, England's time, and April the 20th on um, in in Ontario's time at 8 o'clock, at 8.20 at night, sorry, 8.40 at night. Um, and uh, I kind of thought that was fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah, I yeah. feel like we need to pause there and let that sink in for a second because, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, her uh, father, who was uh, Prince Albert, uh, who was also the Duke of York, was uh, the second son. So he was the younger son of the king. And uh, he was he married uh, Lady Elizabeth um, Bowles Lyon, who was the ninth out of the ten out of ten of out of ten sorry siblings. So in other words, she was born the second youngest. So you know they never thought that uh, Albert, Albert would ever become king, or that uh, Queen Elizabeth would become Queen Elizabeth II. Mm. And on um, May the 29th, she was actually christened at Buckingham Palace. Wow! So Crazy. yeah, my goodness. So Mags, we always get excited to know about the things you can take to the bank and say, oh, yeah, that really happened. And, of course, the things that are, yeah, that's just rumor or myth. So can we get into some of the myths that were out there? And, of course, some of the facts surrounding uh, Queen Elizabeth's birth. Well, okay, first of all. Place of birth, excuse um, me. Yeah, that's that's okay. That that place of birth, that's okay. We'll we'll forgive you. Um, So the the first thing was that the um, place that Queen Elizabeth was born in was actually a townhouse on 17 Bruton Street. And Bruton Street was a very busy city street in London. Mm -hmm. This is because there weren't as many palaces back then as there are today. And of course, uh, there wasn't, you know, the the funding for royalty and things back then as Mm -hmm. as there is today. Right. And again, and because uh, she was uh, born to the younger son, um, there wasn't really very much money for care or upkeep of the house. Now, people often wonder what happened to this place, uh, you know, once the family left there. Some say that it was destroyed by air raids in the Second World War, whereas mm-hmm. other documentation says that, no, it wasn't. It was actually gone before the Second World War. Um one of the facts was that apparently the property was supposed to be used for to make a hotel for the Canadian Pacific Railroad, but that oh. never happened. Instead, yeah, 
Canadian Pacific Railroad. Think about that in, in, in Britain. I, I never thought like that it would go that far because when you yeah. hear about Canadian Pacific Railroad, you hear just kind of about the, the steam trains and, and mm. things in Canada, right? Very you powerful think though. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Anyways, um, instead it was a office. It, it became an actual office and uh, um, retail complex. Apparently the only original part um, that sits on Bruton street is on the East side of this uh, complex. So, okay. uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's um, pretty clear that Princess Elizabeth, before she was queen, was kind of already wrapped into uh, the royalty life and the significance of being born into the royal families, right? But how did she serve in World War II? Now, there are are some conflicting stories here. Um, Some stories say that she lobbied her father at uh, 16 years of age because back in those days, it was the men who made the final decision. So she went to her father and um, talked him into putting her into the uh, woman's auxiliary, which was a woman's branch of the army. And other stories say that when she was 19, she actually went against both of her parents and joined this branch of the army. Um, But in any case, all stories say that she became a trained mechanic where she learned how to repair cars, trucks, and ambulances. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, eventually she even drove trucks and ambulances during the war. Wow. That's great. I thought that when I've heard that about her, um, you know, and she liked, loved to drive. And as as the queen and, you know, people say, wow, how much opportunity to do that and, and you know, that kind of thing. But she'd also tinker. And, and if something went wrong, she was very capable of, of uh, solving whatever the problem might be. How did Princess Elizabeth become the queen? Now, this is um, quite interesting. So in 1936, Prince Albert's brother, King Edward, abdicated from the throne Um and when he abdicated, which, which means he left the throne um, because he was going to be, he, he had something going with a divorced woman and he basically chose that woman over the uh, throne. So he abdicated and her father took over as king. Now, um, interesting to say here that uh, it, this also goes back to when she was serving in the army. She served as in the army, but two years after the father became king, he gave her um, the role in the Privy Council, which meant that she could make decisions on her father's behalf while he was out of the country, right? Mm, so if wow. anything went down or, or yeah, right? So, and, and uh, yes, because she was the oldest daughter, that's how she became queen. Now, what happened was this, the king became very much loved after the Second World War, but due to running the country and the stresses that came with it, as well as a lung, a failed lung operation, uh, he passed away. And then, of course, she became uh, the queen of... Queen Elizabeth II uh, on uh, February in February 1952, February 6, 1952. Quite um, young. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now she did come to Canada. Uh, just as a, as a side fact here, she made six trip or sorry, she made 22 trips to Canada in all, six trips to Toronto, and her very first trip she came uh, on behalf of her father in 1951. And one of the very first sporting events that she went to watch was the Toronto Maple Leafs game in the Maple Leaf Gardens. Nice. Oh, great. Yeah, she yeah. didn't drive anything there, though. No, no, no. She it's didn't get to drive anything there. <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> that would have been awesome. 
Okay, so we need to talk about Paddington Bear and who that is and his connection to the Queen. Oh, Paddington Bear is fun. Um, <laughs> Paddington Bear, yeah, is is a famous cuddly toy, but actually his story began uh, when Michael, when author Michael Bond and illustrator Peggy Fordnam wrote his first book in 1958, and they've written 20 books since then. And three months before her 70th uh, jubilee was to take place, uh, the Queen and Paddington filmed a comedic, a comic, sorry, a comic comedic sketch where the two of them bonded over their love of marmalade sandwiches, and they even <laughs> sat down and shared a cup of tea together. Yeah. And a lot of citizens, apparently, who um, were asked after the fact, because apparently she did a sketch with uh, Daniel Radcliffe, James Bond, who, um, and, and a lot of the citizens, no, the sketch with uh, Paddington Bear was better. And <laughs> Paddington Bear, yes, <laughs> yeah. And Paddington Bear, um, on the night of her actual jubilee, actually sent her a tweet congratulating her for her 70 years of services and wishing her a happy jubilee. And apparently, yeah. And and then when she passed away, apparently um, he sent uh, another tweet saying something to the effect of thank you for your years of service, ma'am. Something to something along those lines. Real respectful tweet. And it really lives on with the Paddington Bear, the connection with the Queen. So amazing. Can we talk a little bit about some of the things we may have heard and not really sure about, such as Operation Unicorn and Operation London Bridge? Yes, we can. So Operation Unicorn refers to how they were going to transfer the Queen from uh, Scotland back to London. You know, so uh, when exactly what time things were going to start, where the procession was going to be resting for the night, uh, when the Queen was going to be put into which you know place, how long she was going to rest and that kind of thing. And Operation U- London be- Bridge... Before you go to yeah. London Bridge, it's interesting too because I think, Margaret, and we've heard about the security concerns right. for the funeral and things like that, but yeah. there seemed to be such an open, this is where the Queen is going to be for the processions that we see uh, saw over in Scotland. Um, so it's interesting when you say that these are operations, but they were also fairly public. Now, I'm sure so many of the things that they did for protection and so on that they had in place obviously would not be open to the public, Mm -hmm. but the ability of the public to see, to wave, to feel a part of um, her her movement from Scotland um, to where, you know, to the final resting place and people also in in England getting that opportunity for the public days that we're now in the midst of, um, it really phenomenal and it's interesting because we use that operation unicorn anyway uh i I just found that very interesting when you think of what it takes the needs the the respect given um but also making sure that the public you know are a part of it and there was talk about every officer on duty in scotland and england has had a part of this nice so even those who were on vacation um came back there have even been volunteers, I guess, who have had, you know, experience with security and things in the past who have come forward. And now Operation London Bridge refers to what happens in in uh, London, Ontario, or sorry, London, England, rather. And I'll tell you one thing that's been very interesting about London is, number one, they've talked about why broadcasters and reporters have been garbed in black outfits. And oh. apparently this is part of the protocol. Yeah. So when we when news reporters were reporting, you know, the queen was placed under medical advisement, um, there was also a lot of the British news, the BBC news reporters were advised to make sure to have black clothing on hand 
because, you know, in case they had to report her passing away on the day she passed away. Yeah. But one of the main announcements that officers are saying now is because some people will have to wait as many as 38 hours before they can even get to look at the Queen in London. So they're telling people to make sure to bring enough food, water, and medication if they need it, because it is going to be a long wait. Um, So, yeah. This is a lot of um, stuff, Margaret. You know, the the present as well as the past and just a a really great scope of uh, how much the Queen means into what a spectrum of people, you know, Mm -hmm. here, there, everywhere. And I was curious, just before we let you go, you know, is there a personal reason why you wanted to bring this to the table as are in the know? Aside from, of course, it being yes, current events. Yes, there, there actually, there, there kind of is actually. My grandmother was very much into the royal family. Um, she, I should say, my late grandmother, and to her, the queen was somebody you respected. Mm. And it, like you know, so if I, I have a feeling that if I didn't do something about it, I'd feel kind of bad. Um, yeah. I can even remember the day that Princess Diana's funeral took place. It was something like five or six o'clock in the morning, our time, and I remember my grandmother calling me and going. Now you're up watching this, right? Right. And I'd say, yeah. yeah. And she'd say, what channel do you have it on? And I'd tell her, okay, who's on right now? Who's on talking right now? Mm-hmm. But I also think too, it's, it seems to be um, a popular topic with everybody right now. And I just kind of thought maybe just some uncommon facts might be Absolutely. Fun. And, you know, the way you're paying tribute is the way that many of us are paying tribute because our uh, parents or grandparents or somebody we know um, is is really feeling this loss of the Queen. Thank you so much, Margaret. Have a good afternoon. Have a good show. Thank you. Margaret Weldon joining us on In the Know today, paying tribute to Queen Elizabeth II after her passing last week. Coming up after the break, the University of Saskatchewan recently launched a suicide prevention strategy. Jim Crisco, he's going to arrive in a couple of moments and fill us in on it. Please stay tuned. Think of all the stories, uh, referring back to Margaret's uh, segment just a moment ago as we were speaking of the Queen, some of the myths and some of the information that Margaret had and Rum, as you said to her, fantastic stuff. Um, you know, you think about how many people have said, I didn't realize this would mm-hmm. affect me as much, as much as I appreciated the Queen, respected her. So many people really taking that pause and stopping. And I know it's brought a lot of questions as to time off work on Monday for the funeral and things like that. And it's it's really interesting how so many people freely, openly say, wow, I'm really struggling with this. Yeah. I, I didn't realize. And in my experience, it's because I'm learning so much about her that... It is just kind of feels personal to her, right? As you guys are talking about the World War, um, the, like what she was doing during World War Two and, oh, and helping yes. out behind the mm-hmm. scenes and all these things, and what was important to her too, before she became queen, when she was queen, uh, all these little pieces of how we feel in touch with her uh, from one human being to another. I think that's what's kind of grabbing at heartstrings here. Yeah, I believe so. Very much so, and should, ladies and gentlemen, a real classy person that we're talking about, but also incredibly down to earth. We're joined by Jim Crisco. He, of course, out in Edmonton, Alberta, is our uh, development uh, content development specialist out there. 
Uh, James, what's the closest that you came to one of the Queen visits? I, I think she'd been out there in Edmonton when you've been around there. Yes. Uh, in you your know what? Time. Absolutely. In my time, absolutely. And you know what, what's funny, and it was just to, to what you and Remyo were talking about, uh, it kind of hit hits home because I remember I was about maybe 12 or 13 years old, and uh, she was in town, I think it was for the Commonwealth Games in 78. Right. And my my mom, I mean, my mom was a single mom. My dad passed away um, when I was young. And she took me, you know, two bus rides to get downtown in order to see the Queen uh, in person. And it meant that much to her. Mm. And it, it really, it, now it's hitting, you know, my mom passed away a number of years ago as, as well. But now it's hitting home that... That's how much it meant to my mom, even, yes. to see the Queen. She took me downtown, and I remember I climbed up on this little piece of scaffolding, and I held my camera up in the air, and I got a picture of the Queen's hat <laughs> as she oh, was wow, walking though. past, because that's about as close as I got. But I was probably, you know, 10 or 15 feet away or, or whatever, but barely, she was barely visible because she was quite tiny. But, um, it, you know, it, it and it hits home now, because, yeah, she was kind of she had that impact on multiple generations mm -hmm. she's the only queen that you know people of of our vintage knew um so yeah it it, it really is kind of sobering well i know that we were talking the other day about the pic picture at the winnipeg arena and you i'm sure remember many times that that picture would be shown on hockey night in canada and just reflect but years ago and the presence of our connection with the monarchy was so evident you know, I know as a child and certainly before before me, before I was ever born, uh, I remember my father at his work. He worked with the war vets um, as, as in a hospital here in London. And on one of her four visits, uh, she stopped to talk to the boys that were with him. And I remember him coming home because he right there was standing there with the queen talking to them. And it, it just was he was in awe just of the person. He said she did nothing but speak to each person that she talked to and pay them the strictest attention. So mm. really wonderful stuff. Uh, Jimmy, we better jump into what we've got today because I know we could c continue talking. We'll stick with Alberta since we were talking about the visit there. A new program in Lethbridge is uh, planning to get adults with developmental disabilities into the workforce. Can you tell us all about this? Yes, this is a, a wonderful program that they're, they're introducing. It's actually being introduced by the Lethbridge Family Services and it's DeCapo De Disability Services Department. And what they're doing is this This is a, a program. They're, they're calling it Reaching Independence Through Skills and Employment, so RISE. Uh, and it'll be a 10-month employment skills center certificate program for adults uh, with disabilities, uh, training them in, in two separate methods. Uh, and this is actually what makes it interesting as well. They have in-class learning and they have work experience practicums. So this, the week would be split up between the two. Uh, and it uh, it gives them opportunities to, to advance personal development while building knowledge and skills, and it prepares them for the labor market. Market um, it's going to be held at the YMCA, uh, and and uh, what they're what the reason they they sort of um, launched this is they they realize that there's over uh, 500 individuals that could be eligible for such a program in their area. So they decided this is the, this is the way we want to do it. We want to, to introduce this. So it'll only have, well, it'll have about 20 seats available at the start date, which is January 9th, 2023. So great, great work out there um, in Lethbridge uh, to get, you know, some really good employment uh, training happening for adults. That's amazing. And 20 seats. I know for a lot of people, they'll stop and say, oh, that's not a lot. But you know what? 
That's better than the big zero that we see often. And when there could be movement, this is movement, Jim. Absolutely. And typically, you know, something like this, it'll start with 20 seats, but if there's an interest in it and it's popular, they'll grow it. So it's a great start. And they'll learn along the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's move over to the University of Saskatchewan where uh, they've launched a suicide prevention strategy. Strategy. How's this going to work? What they're doing, um, and keep in mind, this is being launched at the University of Saskatchewan. They have a lot of resources there to be able to build a program like this. But they're also looking to share um, this information with other campuses around uh, around the province and probably around the country um, to help students because they've identified that you know student life can be very stressful uh, and and unfortunately that uh, some people sometimes people will turn to thoughts of suicide mm-hmm. uh, so during that time. So what they're doing is they're putting together uh, uh, it's basically a program and it, it's it's a toolkit, it's an awareness program. It supports within the university in order to get people, uh, not only people who um, may have considered suicide or may be considering suicide, but also support for people around them, family members who may be touched uh, by suicide in other ways. So they're they're really getting this, this program uh, in place in the university so people have multiple ways to be able to reach out and get help. And and one of the the um, uh, it, it's a, it's a simple um, I, I guess campaign in the way that there's two questions that you can ask somebody that really help and we should all know this and we should all uh, really work with this going through the future. One of them is asking somebody, "Are you okay?" And the second one is telling someone, "You are not alone." Mm. Those are the two foundational things of this program, and it's so important, and we should all know it, and we should all share it with others, because if you simply ask, are you okay, you can start a conversation that can get someone to, towards yeah. help, and to let them know you're not alone takes a burden, can, t- can start to take a burden off someone who may be having negative thoughts. So, you know, the, when I when I saw this, I thought, what a, what a great... Um, great start and a great way to to help and reach out in the community. And it's such a serious and very, it can feel like a very overwhelming concept to digest, Jim, when we're thinking suicide prevention and how can we as individuals uh, be part of making this better for somebody else. And it's such a big thing to kind of wrap your head around sometimes, but just going back to the basics and the questions that you said, are you okay and you're not alone? These two things that you can offer somebody makes a huge, a world of a difference. And um, especially the the are you okay? I really love the phrasing of that compared to how are you? Because are mm-hmm. you okay gives people that moment to be vulnerable, uh, which I think is a really important part. That, some, that you're reaching out to somebody, somebody in a um, genuine way. And that they can respond to you in a genuine way. Without the mechanical answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And if we've learned anything in the last couple of years of the pandemic is it's okay to not be okay. Right. Yes. That, yes. You know, everyone has gone through, uh, I, I'm s- certain, stressful times. And uh, and it's okay to reach out for help or to, to, to accept help. And it shows that you're noticing. When you ask someone if they're okay, you've noticed that they might not be. Right. And that's um, also it's like lending a hand. It's something that you're putting out there saying, hey, uh, 
you know, if you want to talk, I'm here. Are you okay? Absolutely. And I, I you know, I have uh, family members with uh, a family member with um, uh, anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and, and um, it, it's people tr- sometimes try to dance around these difficult topics because they think it's better if we don't talk about it. Right. Yep. Yeah. But it's not, it's no. better to reach out and Absolutely. it's better to, 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 you know, ask them directly how it is because they sometimes really, really want to talk, but yes. don't think they can. Yeah. yeah. Jim, we have about a minute and a half for your last one here on the topic of mental health supports in Saskatchewan. More students are set to benefit with um, more, more mental health capacity building within schools. What are these supports and where will they be rolled out? What they're doing is they, um, they've put, uh, they did a, a pilot project uh, last year of five schools <clears throat> that was uh, about what they call it is mental health capacity building. And uh, it is it is just it is very similar to this program, but it's there for all forms of mental mental health, not only for children, but children, youth, and anyone involved with children, so that they can, you know, have have the have the um, resources to reach out if you have any, um, you know, mental health issues or or anticipating any mental health issues amongst people you know. So I just would like you to know the the um, the pilot sites or that I'm sorry the sites that are being added this year are Churchill Community High School in La Ronge, Prince Albert Collegiate Institute in, in Prince Albert, St. John Community uh, School in Prince Albert, Weyburn Comprehensive in, uh, High in Weyburn, and Dr. Brass School in Yorkton. So these are being added to five more that were, at, were in last year. So uh, once again, the supports are there. The supports are there for students, um, but not only students, but for families, um, for educators, anyone that's involved with young people. Awesome. James, thank you. Fedora's off to all of these pieces. These are so important, and we need to be in the know. We need to know that they're out there, that people are out there. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Take care, guys. Have a great week. Yeah, you too, man. Uh, Jim Crisco, anything that he mentioned, you can find on our blog, ami.ca slash Co. And we visit with uh, our content development specialists here on Kelly & Company on Wednesdays, and Fridays during the program. Always wonderful to catch up with them and see what's going on. In the next hour of the program, September 13th is National Sepsis Awareness Day in Canada. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe informs us about this condition. We flip through some quirky stories from around the globe on what in the world. In a moment, though, Bill Shackleton joins us. It's the Wednesday edition of The Buzz. We'll start hour two of the program after this. Well, we're back with you, ladies and gentlemen, and we do this weekdays, Monday through Friday, right here on AMI-audio, between uh, 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time, repeat of the program at 10 p.m. Eastern and at 6 a.m. in the morning. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of Kelly and Company. Maybe you're settling in with us, listening in on TuneIn Radio or the Radio Player Canada app, awesome apps on which to have on your smart device to check out our programming. Maybe you're at your computer. 
AMI.ca if you want to just listen to the live stream if you're at work and doing a few things. No matter how you're doing it, folks, no matter where you are around the world, thanks for being with us right here on Kelly. Welcome in for his first edition during the week here with us, Bill Shackleton. Bill is at his home location bringing us now the buzz of which we listen to his comments, his stories that he brings to us Wednesday through Friday here on AMI-audio. Shaq, welcome back. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. Nice to have you, sir. Where are we starting? Well, I'm going to start with this one. And when I first saw the email this morning from HR, I'm going, yippee. Basically, the government, uh, the federal government has declared um, the next coming Monday um, a statutory holiday uh, to, to commemorate the Queen's funeral. But wait a minute, man. Don't get excited. Not in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at these things, essentially what's going to happen is in this, when it comes to this province, the, there are the federal employees or the, the, the federal, yeah, the federal employees are going to have the day off, such as I believe, uh, you know, liquor store and banks, um, but federally regulated employees, and I think that means us, yeah, um, are not gonna are not gonna be getting the day off. I think there's a choice if if yeah. your business wanted to. I yeah. believe you know that's obviously well again really any day if your in place of employment wants you to right. guys take a holiday you know uh, okay, um, but yes, Bill, and I think that that again, Bill, it seems to, and I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, especially since right now, as we mentioned in the last segment, so many people have, or I guess a couple of segments ago, have been very surprised by the reaction to the Queen's death and the debate as to should we be still in the Commonwealth, which we'd heard about in the last little while, uh, getting hot again, cooled down right now as people are mourning uh, the, the loss of the Queen. But I think, Bill, this is one of those things that brings your head around to where you say, well, hold on, we're a Commonwealth country. Why, why not? I don't know if that's how you feel, Bill, because I've explained for me, being a child of the importance that uh, the monarchy was driven home to me was, including, um, you know, we'd sing our national anthem and God save the queen often on certain occasions. But even going back further, of course, there was much more of an imprint left on individuals, children, adults um, in this country. And Margaret spoke of that in Jim in the last segment. You know the thing. The thing. It, the monarchy was drilled into me as a kid, and we saying "God save the Queen." And the problem that I'm that I have with some with 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 this whole thing is, if it's a statutory holiday for why, if the government has declared it so, I personally believe we should get it off. Mm. And and the, what's happening is, some provinces are commemorating it, some aren't. Um, some provinces, the schools will be closed, but certain businesses will be open. And I just, it seems to be that there has to be a standard for these things, um, in my opinion. And if it's, if the federal government has said it's statutory, then surely it has to be. But that's just me. Rum? Yeah, and I know I was just going to say there are going to be differences of opinion on this because oh, as 
As we discussed with um, Truth and Reconciliation Day for Indigenous Peoples here in Canada being September 30th, when that came up for the first time last year, right? It was last yep. year. Yeah. Um, same thing. People were wondering how do we, and, and this is more of a broad conversation, but you know, how do we recognize? Are we appreciating and recognizing the intention behind this? Or are we just saying, hey, let's take the day off, cool, do whatever you want? You know, it's not about that. For people who are um, taking the day off or not taking the day off, are we actually going to be thinking of the queen? And is there going to be, you know, in media, is it going to be uh, sprinkled with programming about the Queen? Are people um, taking part in events? And that's one thing that the the provincial governments did mention, that there were still going to be events uh, to commemorate. And yeah, to, there are. Yeah, and to celebrate the Queen and all of this stuff going on that day is just not going to be declared a day off. So... My opinion is um, more in the middle. It's more like, well, day off or not day off, are we doing it for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Remembrance Day, same thing with Truth and Reconciliation yeah, Day, that's and right. all of these other things. How much do we commit to when something such as the Queen's death, the importance of Reconciliation Day? We, I think there's becoming this awareness of, well, how many days are we going to you know, have off? Are we going to get to a point where there's too many that we're, we're telling people you can take a day off for this particular yeah. situation, but not this That's one. That's the answer well, to everything. Day yeah, off. Yeah. And if you make it too broad, then we get, well, geez, it seems like every week there's something that's happened. There should be a day off for it. And, and, and one could argue that I don't know how much that plays into their minds. I don't know how much it plays into if you really want to do something take the day off work. I don't know if because we, a lot of parts of Canada, Reconciliation Day is is approaching and people will have uh, time off. I'm not sure with the decisions being made how much that comes into play in deciding stuff like this, even if the government says, hey, folks, here's what we're doing. You know, provinces, take your lead from this or, or do what you feel is right. And the concerns, especially economically, if all of a sudden there seems to be, well, geez, that province seems to have a day off every week. Mm. I, I don't there know was, how much that's a there concern, was, Bill. There was a there was a, a comment in the article about the businesses being they're going to have to you know be prepared to close, and it's like you're going to have to pay your employees overtime and mm-hmm. all this sort of thing. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot to this, I and guess. it's a tough time to do that. But I think we had that same argument even when they talked about Family Day in February. Yeah, how much did we need <laughs> it off for one. our mental health, for the school, for everything? What happened here? Why do we need it? What what's it really for? And some people say, "Yeah, but that means I got to close and pay people." Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Very. I don't tough. know if you guys do this too, but I always add up at the amount of days that I get versus other provinces and hope that they get the same number. I. I I have to wonder, too, Ramya, with the different cultures, our country being such a, a multicultural country, right. there are other days people are allowed to take, and some people choose to take them. Some don't, and many, you know, most of us may not even know mm-hmm. that we can do it or somebody is entitled to be able to take certain days. And I wonder how much that stuff comes into play, too. Yep. Whole Jack, conversation. Yeah. Uh, mm. Shaq, you want to move on to your next item? Yes, we definitely do. Nearly 300 demand South Korea probe their adoption. So this is an interesting article from Associated Press. 
So well over 300 people have, and th this is actually part of the South Korean, the, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that they are going to hold. Mm -hmm. So there are many, many people that are in the States and all over the world that are claiming, well, basically that their, their adoption papers have been falsified. Um, they want the government to probe agencies as to why this has happened. So these people are saying lots of things that basically they um, they were substituted for people that were already dead, so the relatives couldn't find them. Um, that uh, basically most of these most of them were orphans on the street, which they were not apparently. So there was there's a lot going on with the agencies that the that, that have been allowed to skirt the laws, and. The military rulers are that they've basically said a couple of things. Mm -hmm. They were they wanted to cut down on the mouths to feed, um, and and the unwed, unwed mothers, and they wanted to basically, um, you know, strengthen ties to the West by letting these people the by by letting by letting the West adopt these people, and it does seem to me. That this is kind of a, you know, uh, kind of a mess, and there the this they basically if the commission decides to investigate this, it's going to be really interesting what actually does come out. The article pointed out, as I say, several things that they, these people believe, but it's 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 horrible to think that um, you would be accused of being an orphan when you weren't, and then your uncle would have lived across the street and they wouldn't let you adopt them because they, the agency said you were dead. So it, wow. it's just insane that what, what what all these things are going to come out if they do. Yeah, the I think it's going to be a lot to digest once we start hearing um, what things are being explored and mm. how much information and truth... Uh, and, and answers to mysteries come out of this, you're right. I think it's going to be even more messy than it is now just speculating what's going to come out. Hmm. Yep. Um, I don't know about that one. Um, it's, an, it's interesting, you know, because we we think so much are certain ways where, depending where you come from, then you hear stuff that makes you just like, what? Mm -hmm. you, why? How do you justify... Um, and, and when you talk about children, you talk about the, the, the most vulnerable who have no say in anything being done. Yeah. But then you think about places where people are, are really struggling, want children, can't have, but there's got to be, you've got to have the right things in place. You just can't, I don't even know how to say it. Like you sit back and like, how does this stuff kind of come to mind? And yeah. I, I know you think in different places of the world. People think differently. And yeah. rules are different. Much so. Yeah. Shaq, thanks a lot, pal. Okay, we'll talk tomorrow. You betcha. Bill Shackleton joins us Monday. No, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> Was that remember? second time this week? Yeah, remember he used to, so I think yes. that's a throwback yeah. to uh, Billy. I liked when he was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Anyway, that I digress. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we call the segment The Buzz. Bill Shackleton joins us with a handful of items to talk about. He'll be back tomorrow on the program. Coming up next, September 13th, 
is National Sepsis Awareness Day in Canada. Registered nurse Leslie DePoe informs us about this condition. Folks, going to be a good conversation. I'm sure we're going to learn a lot of things that we really don't know about this. Please stay tuned. Well, we're settling in as we usually do during the second hour. We just get our rhythm moving. Uh, also, folks, just in case you need to get your rhythm moving and maybe you got some other things to do, remember to check out the podcast of the program. Easy way to do that. Just subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form. Hey, you can also, if you want, listen to the Complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Always recommend that for sure. We also include on the end of it an audio vanity card. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio, London, Ontario, with Ramya Muthan, and she is at the main office in Toronto. So we're kicking off the school year for many people right now, and as we do that, we're going to get an education of our own with Leslie DePoe, our registered nurse, talking about the word sepsis. Let's bring her on. I'm Leslie DePoe, registered nurse. Until I got into healthcare, I didn't realize how many people around me had questions about taking care of their own health. So I'm really happy to share some of those answers with you. Join me for the monthly health check-in and we'll talk about everyday questions about everyday health. So sepsis is a word that we may have heard before, but may not really understand. And September 13th, which was yesterday, is National Sepsis Awareness Day in Canada. And we're going to learn a lot about it today. So... Leslie, where do we begin? Is it where we always do with the definition? You know, I, I definitely wanted to uh, want to jump into a definition. You know me all so well. Um, but before we do, I was hoping I could put you both on the spot for a minute and ask, I mean, first of all, have you ever heard of the term sepsis? And secondly, what what's your understanding of what that word means? Hmm. So for no pressure, me, no pressure. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad. because. Oh, no. Because the, my understanding of sepsis is so vague and broad that it can kind of be anything and everything. It can be, uh, it, you can get it, quote, um, from pretty much a lot of different situations. But I'm not sure what it can lead to, what the signs and symptoms are. It's just a very broad, vague understanding. My understanding, Leslie, is generally uh, from some kind of infection, and left unchecked, um, whether it's an abscess in the tooth, maybe maybe there I might be stretching it, but I believe so, or something where your body then starts to become almost, uh, there's a balance where it's become more full of poison than, than, uh, than is healthy. There's that level of, uh-oh, uh, I guess like somebody having too much, too high a sugar. I love this. You guys, A pluses all around. I am so thoroughly impressed. I feel like it's something that people hear in passing or worst case scenario, you know somebody who had to go through this. Um, you guys were really like phenomenal. Well done. Give yourselves a pat on the back. You know way more than you thought you did. Um, I'm going to share with you the official definition from Sepsis Canada. And that's an organization that was started to really focus on the causes of sepsis 
improve um, prevention, detection, and management of sepsis as well. I mean, one of the big things that was happening in hospitals is it was being missed. Um, and as we learn more about it today, maybe you'll start to see why that might be. It can kind of look like something else at first presentation. And there's a few things we have to do right at the start as healthcare providers in order to see a good outcome. And so some organizations were formed to sort of improve some of the education, some of the tools around this, which is what we use now in our emergency departments, even in our, in our intensive care units as well. Mm. So sepsis is exactly what you thought. Um, it can be a life-threatening illness, and it is caused by the body's overreaction to an infection. So it's not an infection in and of itself. You already had an infection in one way, shape, or form. It could have been a bacteria. It could have been a virus. It could have been a parasite. It could have been a fungal infection. But instead of your body having sort of a normal response to the infectious process, it sort of went overboard. It had an overreaction. So normally our systems can fight an infection, but in sepsis, the body kind of triggers this response throughout your whole body, causing extreme inflammation. It can cause blood clots and other things as well. And eventually it leads to um, shutting down of our organs or something known as multi-organ system failure. Um, and that can happen exactly what you said, Kelly. Like it can start in an infection that you think is so localized. I got a cut on my hand. I got an abscess in my tooth. And essentially your whole system overreacts to the point where sepsis is what happens when it takes over your whole body. Yikes. Oh my gosh. So this can happen with any kind of infection. Yeah, absolutely it can. Now, not all infections result in sepsis, thank goodness. Um, when an infection does cause sepsis, however, it can develop really, really quickly. So that's why, again, that's why these these um, new protocols were set up, organizations were started, because we were missing it. Sometimes it, it looks like something else. Sometimes we don't know there was an infection. Sometimes we know there's an infection, but we thought we were doing what we needed to, and we miss it. And it, and it can turn really quickly. And that's what's so scary about it when it happens. When we end up with shock or when our organs fail, the really big ones, our head, our heart, our lungs, um, that can happen within hours. So um, that's why they, there's, a, there's a stat out there that says the risk of dying of sepsis increases by as much as 8% every hour where treatment is delayed. Mm. So as we said, we have all these different kinds of infections that can do it. And this isn't, a, I know sometimes I come on here and I think, oh my gosh, I'm going to scare, scare everybody with pieces. That's not the point of any of this. It's all for education, right? When you know your body, when you start having these effects, you can protect yourself and you can speak up. And like I said, any kind of infection can lead to this pneumonia, even stomach bugs. Um, yes, viruses like COVID and influenza and even parasites that we don't see very often. So Leslie, because of those examples that you gave, I'm curious, is it contagious? Yeah, and that's a really fair question, and it's it's kind of a hard. Um, I'm gonna. It's kind of a hard line, a little blurry, maybe in some cases. The whatever infection it is that you had to start, that might be contagious. If you ended up with a really bad um, influenza, for example, influenza is definitely contagious. Whether or not you went septic as a result of that infection. That part is not contagious. So sepsis itself is not contagious. You can't spread sepsis from one person to another. But as I say, you can spread the infection that led to the sepsis. So most cases of sepsis start outside of the hospital, but believe it or not, you can end up in the hospital for something else. You pick up some kind of a bug and that can lead to sepsis as well. Wow. Wow. I've heard them have the conversations about, you know, being in a hospital conditions and even shots that you have to take sometime or medicine uh, to, to prevent you from getting in trouble because they have to give you sh needles and things like that in a mm -hmm. hospital environment where, where so many things can grab onto you um, and, and be a problem. Um, this sounds like anyone could get sepsis. 
Yeah, I mean, the truth is there's certainly groups that are more susceptible uh, and that pose a higher risk. So age is a huge piece, unfortunately. Um, people with underlying chronic medic uh, medical conditions, so things like diabetes, lung disease, cancer, and kidney disease. And the reason being, we are, it already means we have key organs in our bodies that aren't functioning at 100%. So we're just kind of at a bigger risk in general. Same thing, folks who have weakened immune system, um, young children as well. And then you take a look at some social things too, people that are in high-risk settings, people experiencing homelessness would be at higher risk, people that don't have access to the kind of healthcare um, that, that we've come to rely on so much as um, certainly as Canadians. And I mean, just, just for point of references before I was a nurse, but I mean, I had a, a coworker of mine, his, his young son ended up catching it, an otherwise healthy kid, but it was a pneumonia um, or an, certainly some kind of infection that had, that had gone unchecked. And so I just use that as a reminder to, to, like I said, not to scare anybody, but to make sure, you know, these are, these are the reasons why when you think something's not right, then yeah. you're the you're the expert of your own body. So um, and that that includes just those those common colds and viruses that we carry through healing all the way through is, is certainly important. But boy, could you ever think, oh, my goodness, this is nothing. I got a sliver. I got a sore tooth. I'll go see the dentist, you know, and, mm -hmm. and get it cleared, whatever. And all of a sudden you could be, uh oh. But it is, let's say, as you're saying, how much we get to know our bodies and every month as we consider another health topic with you we're getting to know our bodies a little bit more and understanding uh you know what's going on with us physically and keeping in touch so what are the signs and symptoms of sepsis yeah for sure so the first thing you have to remember is is what we said which is sepsis starts with an infection so first things first is you have an infection of some kind most people would know that most people you're aware of the fact that you've been battling a lung infection or you got a really bad cut on your foot when you were at the cottage last week and Sometimes you don't know, so make sure you have a good look around on your body. Did you have a cut you didn't realize you had or something like that? UTIs can be one of those things that absolutely can lead to sepsis but can be underreported and, and under-medicated. So that's another thing that, you know, just be in tune with your system. Um, so that's going to be your first sign is you have an infection. Some part of your body is not healing the way it should, and now things are going to go to the extreme. So some people will, will say, you know, all of a sudden they've got really bad fevers. Sometimes muscle pain starts just cropping up. It's like, I thought I, you know, I thought things were going in the right direction. Now, all of a sudden, I woke up the next day. It's, it's way worse. When things start to get really bad, um, and this is like you should be sitting in emerge if the, any of these things are happening, slurred speech or people reporting, people around you going, man, you're just not making very much sense today. Like, I asked you the same question three times. Every time you answer you, I get a different, I get a different answer. People report feeling breathless. Their big one is discoloration of your skin, kind of some modeling in that. So, you know, have a friend take, you know, help you out. Take a look at places that you can't maybe see by your by yourself. Um, that's a huge one. And people just feeling this sort of impending sense of doom. I know that sounds very ominous, but it's it's actually, I think it's I think it's really empowering. I cannot tell you how common it is for patients to to predict things in their own bodies and say, like, I I don't know what's wrong, but I can tell you right now, something doesn't feel right. That's that's always a big red flag. Wow. Okay, so are there any other ways for us to prevent this from happening? Yes, absolutely. Here's to me is the greatest news of all of this is through this through this pandemic, which we are all still living living through and and living with. You know, we learn so many fantastic public health measures that we can utilize all year round for ourselves, for our family. Wash your hands, um, good hand hygiene, knowing signs and symptoms of of an infection. Um, being up to date on your immunizations, being aware when something isn't healing correctly, and of course, seeking medical attention promptly. So Leslie, to kind of wrap things up, you have a universal red flag when it comes to health. Can you share that with us and also how it relates back to our topic on sepsis? 
Absolutely, I can. And I can't stress this enough. I tell this to patients all the time. Your number one red flag is when something was getting better, you had a cough, the cough started to resolve. You had a cut, it looked like it was healing. And all of a sudden it goes backwards. That's so weird. I felt well for two days. Now this cough is 10 times worse. Now I have a fever. That's strange. I thought this cut was healing. Boy, is it 20 times so much more painful today to touch a red. That is a red flag across the board. Doesn't matter what part of your body you're talking about. Doesn't matter what you were working yourself through. If you have started to see a day or two of getting better and things turn backwards, that is a red flag. So certainly when we talk about sepsis and we talk about infection, it's all about knowing your own body, putting your hand up when you think something's wrong and following through promptly. Now, I'm I'm curious about the follow-up part of it. Um, you know, is it really just a family physician thing or whoever your, your uh, care team was to begin with? Or are there times when you would just say, go to ER, go to you know what yeah that's such a fair question and honestly the line is blurry you need you really need a qualified healthcare professional to help triage you in those moments so Mm -hmm. what i always say is you know we have a lot of really great telehealth options in this in this country who can help to triage you through those questions and help make that decision sometimes it can be followed up with from your family doctor if you're just thinking you know what something isn't you know but 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 again it's so tricky because time is Time is very precious in these scenarios. So the truth is, if you've got an infection, if you thought it was getting better and it's not, that for me is enough for you to go and and follow up with some immediate support. Right. And, and, and I mean, I know I've always heard of that. If you leave something, again, sometimes people are just, oh, you better be careful of that. You know, it could get some, you know, sepsis from that. Ha, ha, ha. It, it's a silly joke, but that little silly joke could not necessarily become true. But it should be that reminder that keep an eye. Check. How do you feel? That's exactly it. And and as I say, and if you started to think, you know, you were turning a corner, if you knew something was wrong and you got the antibiotics and you did whatever it was, or you waited it out because it didn't need it and you were told a couple of days you should start to turn that corner. It's really, like I said, it's really about being in tune with your body, understanding what your baseline is and knowing when something is not right and acting accordingly. And to continue the, you know, research and awareness on sepsis, you did give us a link, a resource to put up on our blog, ami.ca slash Kelly Cohen. This is for sepsisawareness.ca. You've got it. Yeah. And they've got a great piece on sepsis awareness month. There's lots of stuff. It's very uh, user friendly. It's not, it's not made for medical professionals. It's made so that you can have a read and have a better understanding and hopefully spread the word. Awesome. Leslie, thank you so much. As you said, and I'll repeat it pretty much, is just it's not to scare us, but it's really to inform us, to keep us continuing to be aware of uh, what could be happening to our bodies and just kind of be in tune with that stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks as always. Leslie DePoe is our registered nurse. She joins us on the second Wednesday of every month uh, to have a health check-in. And we've covered a lot of things, Kels, in the last year, especially, um, you know, always answering current questions that we'd have when it comes to COVID-19 or mental health awareness or just resources, things that are happening around us. Um, And we come up with questions or curiosities, and she's always keeping us up to date. I love how she comes up with something that maybe we wasn't even on our radar, something that you, when you think about it, my goodness, of course, we should know a little bit about it. We, we banter the term around, but what do we know? So really wonderful topic. Learned a lot there today, folks. Uh, we'll step aside for just a moment. And coming up next, we flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with Jeff Ryman on What in the World. We'll get into it after this.
Welcome back to the program, folks. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show. On your Wednesday edition. So, does this mean we're going to get a little more of uh, what in the world? It's like an actual spot for it now, Rum. Yes, and the thing is, the spot is not ever-changing like the Thursday one kind of was. We need to fill this hole. Hey, what about a what in the world? Hey, we need to fill this hole. Take off what in the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this is much easier to keep track of every other Wednesday. Really cool. Uh, You'll notice that, folks, uh, some of the schedule changes we're making with the program. So just ride along with us. We'll we'll get everything settled in and uh, just trying to, of course, streamline Kelly and Company. Away we go. That's Ramya Muth, and she's at Main Campus in Toronto. Kelly McDonald here at the Home Studio, London, Ontario. And speaking of said uh, segment, let's welcome in Grant Hardy, reporter, and our producer from Kelly and Company, Jeff Ryman, for What in the World. The defendant's guilty verdict in a firearms case can't be automatically reversed just because the judge dozed off. The cries were that of a 40-year-old parrot named Rambo. Let me out. Some of it weird, some of it just crazy. This is What in the World on Kelly and Company. Mind-boggling. Fellas, welcome back to the program. And we do this now every other Wednesday on the show. At this time, we call it What in the World. Uh, Jeff, I'll let you uh, take lead. Yeah, it sounds like the, uh, what would we call it? The summer stir fry is yes. coming yes. to a conclusion <laughs> and the fall refresh has begun. So uh, stay tuned, folks. Lots of uh, interesting changes coming up on the show, including what in the world basically being a regular staple now woo-hoo. every other Wednesday. So woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Um, guys, I was able to find some fun articles or at least fun stories today um i I don't know how um in tune you guys are with reading dictionaries or the merriam webster dictionary and how they come up with new words every couple of months or phrases tell me Um, this is a rhetorical question (laughs) yes okay great I don't think anybody I, really I, reads. You guys don't read the dictionary for bedtime reading? Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe the urban dictionary when my brother says something that I have no clue about. I just pretend <laughs> like I understood the context and then go later. Uh, good old urban dictionary. But mm-hmm. I'm talking about a, a legitimate dictionary, the Merriam-Webster dictionary. And it is that time of year uh, when the words pumpkin spice are on many of our lips, not to mention in many of our coffee cups. So it should come as no surprise that it's amongst, yes, some of the words added to that dictionary. Wow. Uh, This month alone, just this month, so September only, the dictionary has added 370 words and phrases. Others that were added include shrinkflation, (laughs) adorkable, and subvariant. Um, adorkable? So if adorkable, first time I'm hearing this. Yeah, to I I've definitely heard of shrinkflation. I think that's made its way into the news yeah. maybe once or twice or or somewhere I've heard that. Uh, subvariant, I, I, I've heard as well. Adorkable, I'm with you, Rum. Uh, I have not heard about this, but uh, I think one of the things that really piques my interest in this little story is that. 370 words or phrases like that's not a small amount like that is a decent amount so if you're a scrabble player maybe you want to pick up uh, the newest edition of the dictionary and 
maybe stump some of your friends on some of these words using adorkable the next right. time you play Scrabble. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. So I, I want to ask you guys um, if you think that it's nice the way that they've headed with the Webster or, um, dictionary having a bit of a sense of humor or if you think that this is necessary at all. Now, it's obviously cute and it's obviously funny, but, you know, like it's a story, right? It's a headline, Grant. I don't know. This is a tough one. I think that um, I don't know how I feel about this. I think that there are some things like pumpkin spice. I feel like those two words can kind of stand on their own. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we need sort of a whole other uh, entry here, but I guess language is really uh, does reflect part of our culture and, you know, part of our time. Like I remember having a discussion actually in the Vancouver Bureau back when I, we had an office and uh, I asked someone, uh, you know, deglobalization or like unglobalization is that a word right and we're kind of like i guess it kind of is now like it wasn't really a concept earlier but but now suddenly you know with england leaving the eu and you know this this and that it's actually kind of a new cultural concept so in a certain sense language does have to evolve with with the times i'm just not totally sure the dictionary should be reflecting uh oh let's say kid culture right. what do you think yeah exactly you're not really sure where to sit on this because in one way it's cute it's cute c and then in another way it's like okay yeah this is a serious word or or a serious part of change that we're probably reflecting and it's becoming a staple word in our uh vocabulary but, you know, are they going a little too far with this for, for headlines and for fun? And, uh, you know, just the story of, hey, in September, there's 370 new words. Jeffy. Yeah. You know what? I'm somewhere, I'm kind of torn, like you guys, in this. I think there's a, a time and place for where these words can find their way into a dictionary. Maybe it is urban dictionary. Um, or like, you know, but, but the, the, the big dictionaries like oxford and miriam webster i think should be solely for words that um or, or phrases that aren't pumpkin spice like i, I feel like it's almost like a little irrelevant um I, I don't know how many people would look up a dictionary for these um I don't know. I, I think it should be more professional, for lack of better words. Mm. Um, but there, there should there. I'm not saying there can't be a fun or a you know more hip dictionary, if you will. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of in between here. Uh, yeah. I, I think I'm, I think I'm leaning more towards they shouldn't be in there. It, but you know, I, I'm fine. I'm fine with this because it is kind of fun to talk about. But. Um, in in a professional dictionary, I think that you know, I know, you, you right? can just post these on Urban Dictionary. This is the most serious we've gotten on a what in the world conversation. <laughs> Leave it up to me. But yeah, it, it's true. Like with the illegitimate words that are just there for fun, like adorkable. You know, should yeah. Merriam-Webster be taking part in that kind of silliness? I don't know. But anyways, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I got Go another one here. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Grant. Ah, oh, be pre it'd be pretty amazing to use adorable on a university, you know, English yeah. essay or something, and then say, reviewed. "Well, you yeah. have to accept this. It's peer reviewed. It's in the dictionary." Go ahead, Jeff. 
Good point. That is a great point. I'd love to see somebody uh, post a picture of that saying, here's my final essay, and I've used a Dorka bullet. Yeah. That would be quite funny. Um, but I want to switch to the UK. Um, and it's to do with traveling. And as somebody who used to take the train to get into work basically every day or get to school every day for about five years or so, you see some really weird things that people do on the train. I've seen people do their makeup or their hair. And I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that to each their own. As long as you're not bugging me, I'm completely <laughs> fine. Just looking out the window or reading a book or listening to music. Um, but you do definitely see and hear and maybe even smell some some really weird things uh, and that's exactly what happened um to one person who was on their commute into work um and this person um w encountered somebody else opening a can or a tin i should say of all day breakfast now i believe this is um a uk thing so i did look it up what an all day breakfast is so it comes in a can like you get a can of beans or a command uh, a can of tomato soup in um and it is quite disgusting um <laughs> uh in in my opinion um it says for an all day tasty filler it has this is all in the same can Baked beans, sausage, mushrooms, pork, egg nuggets, and bacon. So apparently this gentleman encountered somebody else, opened a can of all-day breakfast, and <laughs> proceeded to eat it. And it was also stone cold. Um, I'd assume that you would typically heat that up on mm. the stovetop. Um, instead, this person opened it cold on a train and i can only imagine the smell um that that was um that was going through rain um this one might take the cake um, like i said i've seen some people do some weird things um eat some weird things on the train but i've never seen anybody open a can of something and this is just uh, a little bit ridiculous and I almost feel bad for everybody else that was on the train because yeah that smell was probably can rancid opener, right? I, I think it I am either it might be it might a, be like a, might a can opener <laughs> it, yeah. it, it could be a pull up as well it could like be like a, can, a little like a tuna can, uh, tuna can type yeah. of situation yeah it I don't know man like I'm, I'm, I'm caught up definitely on the scent the aroma of this beautiful all day breakfast and <laughs> Ugh, the combo, especially because it's, it's the, I'm saying TTC, but you know what I mean? It's public transit yep. and someone's opening up baked beans and eggs and sausage and bacon. I oh. am good. I'm good. Yeah. No, thanks. Grant, have you ever experienced yeah. anything like this? I, I have to tell you guys, you know, I like to consider myself easygoing in some respects, mm. but I actually, I have some food. This is why they tell you not to eat on transit. Yep. I, ha I have a few food sensitivity issues, especially the smell. And I'm also not really very good at sort of hiding my feelings. <laughs> People tell me that my face is very, uh, what's the word? opposite of opaque Exp my face is very transparent, transparent mm. and, expressive uh, it's easy yes thank you and it's easy to tell what i'm thinking and i can just imagine myself sitting there feeling nauseous my face going into some 
bizarre facial expressions that would make you guys <laughs> proud and uh and and just not knowing how to get out of that situation so yeah. i i really really feel badly for those other individuals the, yeah. tra- the trans and i hope they had a good good reason for I, okay. to eat that right then. that's true that's true like if we're gonna lean on empathy i hope that this not hope but you know maybe it was the person was really really hungry they had no other choice it was the first thing they could grab out of their bag and because hey i've lived the transit life man like i will tell you i've gotten off trains just to go get myself a mcdouble or something because i just couldn't i was horribly hungry but um yeah sucks still still sucks i I think uh, i think a granola bar may have been uh, a better option for for this gentleman right (laughs) uh maybe easier requires no utensils uh doesn't need to be heated up oh, and man. probably the smell is doesn't come in a can basically non-existent you know and <laughs> no. the thing is um we smell food on transit regardless regardless of people eating it or not maybe you're carrying takeout right and we've yeah. smelt yeah. it but i'd rather smell like uh, some food going by where i'm going oh that smells yummy yeah. i want some of yeah. that kfc sir <laughs> not this situation yeah, Ab- I tend to agree with you there. Uh, also, <laughs> one quick side story: back when I did take transit, I, I saw somebody clip their nails. Like they they pulled oh out my. a nail clipper, and <laughs> not just their fingers. What? They they did their feet. They did their toes as well. No. I, I, I couldn't gram? believe it. It was uh, it was pretty disgusting. So I mean, that's oh. definitely up there. But so is so is this one with this guy eating. Just that concoction of all day breakfast cold just kind of makes I me crazy don't actually. Even know. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I used to to knock back a full uh, equivalent of a full French press of coffee on the transit, and I never really had anyone complain about that. But I think hey, just like KFC, a, a, yeah, a lot of people love the smell. One or two people, though, are going to hate the smell. But I think maybe you're technically allowed to have coffee and tea in a thermos. I'm not 100% sure. I'm just just hoping. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's it's pretty standard here, at least in Toronto. People would bring their coffee on all the time. I actually enjoy the smell of coffee. Not so much the taste, but the smell is actually pretty good. Um, and, And guys, just one more story here. Uh, and I feel like I always, whenever I see a story like this one, I feel like I have to bring it on Kelly and company. Uh, we've definitely had a couple of these before and it still just boggles my mind that this is something that continuously happens to people. Um, uh, so Laura Hernandez of New York fell in the water and lost her iPhone while paddle boarding last month. And of course, shot. It was gone in the waves, it was, but what the sea took, it then returned. The day after she lost the phone, she returned to the beach in Rockport and told an instructor of a novice scuba diving class that she had lost her phone. So she gave a description of her phone. Uh, Betancourt told her the odds of finding it were very slim, even though it was in a distinctive pink waterproof case Mm. the instructor told his students to keep an eye out for it and one of them vanessa khan uh, spotted the phone in her first open water ocean dive 
with the pink case being in a or being a big help. <laughs> she returned to the surface, turned on the camera, took a selfie, then returned it to the owner. That wasn't all that was exchanged in hands. Hernandez gave Khan a $300 reward. Nice. But this is just crazy. Could you imagine being in the ocean, losing your phone? You think it's gone forever. It's in a nice, bright pink case. You ask somebody to help out. The next day, they find it, they return it, it, and it still works. Incredible. I was just going to say, so was that selfie taken with said phone? Yes, with that exact same phone. Well, I guess, yeah, yeah I guess that... probably the other person didn't have her phone out in the middle of the water. Sorry, Grant, go ahead. That's the great thing about those waterproof cases is, mm-hmm. is you can get some amazing photos. I think I would have said, I, I will give you back your phone, but you got to send me that selfie. Yeah. Because oh, I am keeping that for life. That can go on your keep profile, your... that can go on your social media, that can go anywhere. And keep your That's $300, just buy me another wa- or a waterproof case. Thanks, mm-hmm. guys. Appreciate it. Good stuff. See ya. We call it What in the World. Reporter Grant Hardy and producer Jeff Ryman bringing it to us. Uh, We'll have another uh, What in the World in a couple weeks here on the show. But up in a couple of minutes, we look at tomorrow's Now with Dave Brown program and tell you about our show. Well, folks, thanks for being with us as we come to the end of another edition of Kelly and Company. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald. We are the hosts. We want to remind you to check out the Kelly and Company podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. You can listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where we toss on an audio vanity card on the end of it. Uh, whatever way, folks, we appreciate you listening to the show in whatever way it works out best for you, whether you binge it, whether you just have a favorite segment that you want to listen to, whatever. Thanks for your time. Very appreciated. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. From any particular segment that you might want to suggest people go and take a listen to from today's show. Yeah, we get news from Jim Crisco uh, in his neck of the woods in and around, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba. And the conversation today about suicide prevention plan, this is something Mm -hmm. that is being implemented by the University of Saskatchewan, something that I think is very important, um, specifically, you know, catering to the needs of university students, understanding that mental health is really, really impactful, positive or negative, and that these kind of conversations need to take place on very, very fundamental levels with, you know, your friends, your family, whoever. And so some of the things that Jim pointed out um, with this story and with other ones that he brought up today, um, I think are definitely revisitable, re-listenable and share it. Okay. I would also like to have folks go back and check out today our health segment with uh, Jeff Ryman and Grant Hardy. Uh, Grant led the show uh, off with the segment uh, his first time, and as Grant has joined the team, really wonderful product he brought to the table. We had a really interesting chat with the forest fires out there, what's happening out in BC, uh, how the air quality is so poor. But we got into a very interesting conversation that, for me, made me pull my ear a little bit, hmm... Hmm, about a few things. So maybe do the same to you. Check out that as uh, that was uh, brought to you by Jeff and Grant, our uh, health headlines today here on the program. 
Let's welcome in Paul Daniel. You can find the product that Paul is one of the producers for. They call the show Now with Dave Brown, available on AMI-tv. Starts at 9 a.m. in the morning. Also, you can find it as a podcast. Well, Paul, what's our lineup look like for tomorrow's show? And welcome back. Thanks, Claire. Tomorrow's show, uh, September is the first, this September is the first annual Inherited Retinal Disease Awareness Month in Canada, made possible by, with the efforts of Fighting Blindness Canada. So tomorrow we'll be speaking to Doug Earl, president of Fighting Blindness Canada, who will tell us more about it. John Priest and Double Type Canada has been trying out anchor sound core frames, which have been referred to as audio sunglasses, to tell mm. us how, uh, how, they're, how, they're, how they work. And one of our columnists, Jenny Bovard, will tell us about her recent camping experience. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds great. Sounds like a, a well-rounded show once again, Paul. Um, so, we aim to please. Oh, well, that's the thing. Uh, so, Mr. Daniel, the other day we had you going on about food from the CNE. Let's leave that alone. But have you made any new discovery when it comes to fall fairs? We were touching on this on the program the other day. Something new that people may not really realize or see there. I forgot at things like the exhibition the the part the area of selling stuff clothing and, and I remember yeah. back in the, the day pitch, when even cars building? yeah well yeah. I, the pitch, I forgot the they even man. used to sell selling cars and crap yeah. what, they, what they is... to sell, and they sell things like uh, foldable chairs or foldable uh, that look, look look like timp- timpani drums they fold up there's automatic seats you can fold them very mm. very compact weigh less than two pounds you can carry them around whenever you need a seat and you can't find one wow there it is unfold it very quickly forty bucks it's, 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 yes you find the I find the pitchman be the most interesting. Uh, Parts of the uh, of the CNE, the people wow. selling you products. Yeah. This guy selling you a beam off or whatever. You know? by the jacuzzi. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to folks <laughs> checking out your fairs, do that, folks, this year. I, I kind of forgot all about that kind of end of it. Paulie, thank you. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Now with Dave Brown, folks, 9 a.m. in the morning right, uh, on AMI-tv. Do check them out. Also available as a podcast. And Ramya, we'll kick things off tomorrow afternoon when we do our Thursday edition. Yes, we will. Each year, folks, gardener Susan Kearney thinks that there's things that we need to consider uh, when it comes to uh, putting certain plants out in our gardens. She'll get into that conversation with us. Also, Canada, as Paul just mentioned, is marking September as the first annual Inherited Retinal uh, Diseases Month. We'll learn more on the show tomorrow from our friends at Fighting Blindness Canada. On Curious Minds, Christine Malik highlights images from the James Webb Telescope and explain sonifications that are making the images more accessible to us. Joining us on tomorrow's roundtable conversation is AMI reporter Grant Hardy, our newest addition to the Kelly and Company team. We have the Thursday Buzz with Bill and Apple Apps add some apps to, uh, well, spice to life with new software. Michael Ferris starts us off at 2 p.m. Eastern. Night! Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.